When's the last time that you sat and had a good think? I'm not talking about like the old Arsenio, Arsenio Hall show, you know, things that make you go, hmm. I'm talking about when something so stopped you cold in your tracks that all you could do was sit still and think. Or maybe something that was so exciting to you that your mind was racing and all you could do was think. One of the reasons we talk about reading God's Word or listening to God's Word, engaging it on a regular basis, every day if you can, at least four times a week, at least ten minutes at a time, is so that God can speak to you. His values that are not our values. His perspective. And we see that God's world versus our world is different. And it's playing out over eternity, not just in our temporal reality. And there are things that you will read when you encounter God's word that make you go, wow. The title for our sermon today is Consider Well. And Consider Well has us with that idea in mind. It comes from the line in the Wexford Carol that says, Consider well and bear in mind what God has done. That's in your sermon outline. It says, Good people all this Christmas time, consider well and bear in mind what our God, our good God has done for us in sending His beloved Son. That's just the first verse. You'll hear that tonight if you come to the concert as they sing the Wexford Carol. And I am resisting the temptation to sing it right now. So... Be thankful. But we're featuring a variety of lines there. And that one can somebody well and bear in mind what God has done. As I read that carol, and as I began to think, I thought about Mary's song. Mary's song that you find in Luke chapter 1. And if you haven't turned there already, Mary's song begins in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. But for our purposes, we'll focus just on verses 50 through 55. If you're following the story, you're already in your uh, Gospel of Luke. You see that Jesus' birth was foretold. Mary says, how can this be? The angel says, you know, with God, nothing's impossible. Mary says, one of my favorite lines of all time, may it be to me as you have said. Say Her faith, simple and profound faith. But then she goes off to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant with the child who is John the Baptist. And there's this amazing exchange between the ladies in verses 39 through 45. But then filled with faith and filled with joy, Mary sings a song, a prophetic song, a song of praise in verses 46 and following. But for our purposes today, considering well and bearing in mind what God has done I want us to read verses 50 through 55. So if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, would you stand if you're able? Mary says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel by remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as 
he said to our fathers. Let's pray together. God, as we open your word, we pray that it would be an encounter. That by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to each and every one of us. And although there are lots of thoughts here in today to consider, it may be just one phrase, one verse, one idea that you will have us to consider well. So, Father, allow us to focus on your thoughts and not our own. Father, if there's anything we need to confess now, that we would do so, that we would be free of sin and the encumbrances of this world, that we might hear clearly from you. All the things that bring us anxiety and fear, Father, we give to you that we might hear from you. And that in these words, in these next moments, you would speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So seeking to answer that question, what God has done for us, Mary's song talks to us. And on the surface... When you read verses 50 through 55, it looks all past tense. Matter of fact, it's translated as past tense in your English Bible because it is past tense in Greek. It was written in the aorist tense. The aorist tense in Greek is a simple past tense. It's stated as a fact that this has been done. It is complete. There's no doubt. There's no question. So the verbs used in verse 50 through 55 here are past tense. So you get the idea that Mary is looking back to a specific instance or instances that she knows in her life or in the life of her people, the Israelites, God's people, that she's witnessed. But it's interesting to know that in verse 46, 47, 48, 49, she's speaking personally. And then she switches there in verse 50 and she speaks broadly and generally. And what scholars believe she's done is a phenomenon that you see throughout the Bible, and it's a prophetic past tense. It's speaking of what God has done as if it has already happened, but it has not happened yet. A prophetic past tense, because what God has done is so secure, so solid, it's as if it has been accomplished, even though it has not yet been accomplished. So when I have this idea for us, consider well what God has done, and bear in mind what God has done. We're thinking about things He's done in the past, but realizing these are things He will do in the future, because He is God. So let's dig a little deeper at what Mary says. Let's look there in verse 50. Verse 50 says, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation, it's interesting that in verse 50 and in verse 55, there are recognition of God's mercy. So as bookends to the things that God has done that we're going to talk about in the middle here is God's mercy. And so your first major point on your outline there is God's mercy for his worshipers. Is God's mercy for his worshipers. Do you see that there? His mercy extends to those who fear him. Reverence. Awe, worship, that's what that means. Any person who worships God, whether they're a follower of Jesus yet or not, if they turn to him in worship, he is going to extend mercy to them. How does it work that somebody gets saved? 
when somebody gets saved, they realize that I'm a sinner, just as you heard Ben testify to on his video this morning and by his own words in the baptistry before you, that he knew he was a sinner and he confessed his sin to God and he personally was forgiven. And yes, it is faith that God gives somebody like Ben and all the rest of us that are saved, and that's a gift from God, but it's God's mercy to give us that gift of faith. We don't deserve faith. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve anything because of our sin. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. How far? From generation to generation. In other words, no matter when and where you hear this, no matter when and where you worship God, God's mercy applies to you. You've met people, and maybe you've been the person, maybe you are the person that would say, I've done so many bad things, God can never forgive me. You're wrong. Hebrews 4.16, you can write that one down. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. God's mercy is greater than anything you have done. God's grace is amazing, and God welcomes you to himself. So my question for us to apply this is, how healthy is my reverence of God? You personally, how healthy is your reverence of God? I love it when people find out I'm a pastor, right? You know, I'm a cyclist, and I'll go on group rides and sometimes you get on a ride with people that don't know you and you know so along the way they're just being themselves and foul words are coming out of their mouths and ugly attitudes and things like that and then somewhere along the way they'll say oh so what do you do for a living I'm like I'm a pastor and they're like oh sorry for all the things I just said and I'm like man it doesn't matter what I hear God hears you all the time okay It doesn't matter what you do or don't do in front of me. I'm just a a, a regular Joe who happens to be a pastor. God sees you all the time. And not only that, God knows your thoughts and the intentions of your heart. When we think about our reverence to God, we need to think about not would we be embarrassed if our grandma heard us or if our mama saw us. But the fact that God witnesses everything we do and he knows our thoughts and he knows our hearts. Does that remind us a little bit of his reverence? Or excuse me, of his mercy for us. That not only in spite of, but because of our hearts, because of our sinfulness, he loves us. Proverbs 16, 6 says, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. Fancy word for sin. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Did you hear that? By mercy and truth, atonement, paying the price, settling the scales, is provided for our sin. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. It's your reverence, your worship, your awe of God, realizing that He is merciful, that sets you in the right mind to confess to Him that what you have done is sin and ask Him to forgive you from your sins. So we're beginning with mercy, I said. We're going to end with mercy. But there's some amazing things that happen in the middle here. These next verses are about this reversal. There's three different reversals here, and I'm going to talk to you about them in the next three points, and I'll name them for you. But it's really the kingdom upside down, which is what God's kingdom is when it comes to earth, because God's values are so different than man's values. Remember, we talk about otherish, agape, 
godly love versus selfish, natural, normal, taking care of yourself. And you see that here. And that's what you see in verse 51. Verse 51 says, He has performed His mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. So your second major point on your outline there is God's strength against the proud. God's strength against the proud. He's shown His strength. He's scattered the proud, showing them that are think themselves preeminent and are strutting about and are arrogant and are conceited, that He is God. Think back to what you know from the history of the Bible. Pharaoh, was he stronger than God? Absalom, was he stronger than God? Haman, was he stronger than God? Nebuchadnezzar, were any of these rulers foreign or of God's people stronger than God? No, God showed his strength against the proud. The first reversal you see here is a moral reversal. Dr. Leon Morris says that this section of the song tells us about the complete reversal of human values. It's not the proud or the mighty or the rich who have the last word. It is God. So when we consider pride, you've got a question to apply this for yourself. Where do I struggle with control? Because that's really where the rubber meets the road with pride is control, getting things your way, your expectations being met. Setting things the way you want rather than the way someone else wants. A friend of mine, Tommy Rose, said, Pride is when you've got it right. Humility is when God's got it right. He's talking about your perspective. That in your perspective, when you say, look at me, I got it right. That's pride. But in your perspective, when you humbly say, at that. God got it right. That's humility. That's the difference right there. Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The kingdom upside down, the moral reversal. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 2 Samuel twenty two twenty eight says, you save humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. Your arrogance, your pride, your strength will be overcome by the one true God. 2 Corinthians 10:18 says, "For it is not the one who commends, excuse me, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends." Rather than lifting yourself up, you let God lift you up. You let God take care of you. And he will. Not trying to control things yourself. So our song here begins with mercy. We talk about that first reversal, a moral reversal against pride. And now we've got another one against strength. Let's move on. Your third major point. God's dominance over the mighty. God's dominance over the mighty. Dr. Tony Evans reminds us of this. He says, God's not opposed to greatness. He's opposed to pride. God allows greatness, God allows might, God allows riches, and He not only allows but causes those things for His glory in people that have proper humility before Him. Let's see what it says there in verse 52. 
Verse 52 says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. Think about history and think about the names I named and that strength and that pride versus that humility. And you need to ask yourself, because this one is the second reversal, is a social reversal. The first was a moral reversal, changing the code. But here's a social reversal. And your question is, where does my pride show? Where does my pride show is your question on that one. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but the humble he's lifted up. J.M. Cooper says that Pharisees die hard. I don't know about you. I can be a Pharisee sometimes. I'm pretty good at determining my way. And this is the right way if it's my way. And if it's your way, it must be the wrong way because it's not my way. And as a Pharisee, I die hard. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says, however, blessed are the meek. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand so that he may lift you up. Interesting thing about the need for humility. If you don't humble yourself before God, God will humble you. Can I get an amen? I don't know how many of you have had that uncomfortable happenstance in your life. That if you don't humble yourself before God, God will humble you because he is merciful, because he loves you, because he's demonstrating grace to you, because he wants you to have a proper respect, reverence, and awe of worship of who he is, he'll humble you. So mercy, pride, and strength are first three points. Now we're moving on to money. The fourth point on your outline is God's control of the rich. God's control of the rich, the fourth point on your outline, and that's from verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's filled the hungry with good things. Okay, we're glad that happened, but sent the way rich away empty. Well, obviously, it's not just anybody that has riches, but those who are following in the negative side of what Mary is singing about here. Those who are exalted in their pride. Who are puffed up because of their strength. And their money is a symbol of that. You think back to even the song of Hannah. So here we have the song of Mary. But the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Write that down. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 7 and 8. And she talks about the proud versus the humble. And the rich versus the poor. And God's care. If you look throughout the book of Psalms again and again and again in the Psalms, you see Psalm 63 verse 1, Psalm 42 verse 1 and 2, Psalm 81 verse 10. Time after time, we see God filling the needs of the hungry, but opposed to those who are self-righteous in what they have. I want you to turn to... Revelation with me. So the very last book in your Bible shouldn't be hard for you to find. Go all the way to the index or the maps and swing a left a few pages. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Talking about the church at Laodicea, it's a prophecy of Jesus to these seven churches. And each 
church starting in the beginning of chapter 2 with Ephesus, then Smyrna, then Pergamon, then Thyatira, and the beginning of chapter 3, Sardis, and now Laodicea. What does it say there? It says, you say, and this is Revelation 3.17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You might have everything in this world, but you might have nothing in God's world based on God's economy and this reversal that Mary is prophesying about. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. God is saying with these symbolic pictures, gold refined in fire had symbolism to the people in Laodicea because of where they lived and the minerals there, the white clothes of worshipers, the salve to put on their eyes. All these things would mean more to them because of who they were. But he's saying, don't put your value in the things of this world. Put your value in the things that I have and the things that I give, not the stuff that you can buy. What Mary's talking about here is a material reversal. You saw a moral reversal. You saw a social reversal. But this is a material reversal. Not about the things of this world, but the things of the world to come. So my question for us to apply this one, and this is not an easy question, is how am I tempted by money? Unfortunately, even when you don't have much, you can be tempted to have more. And it might be the greatest temptation you face is money. And the control thereof and the spending thereof. You know that question, if I had a million dollars, what would I buy? All right. That might give us an indication of your heart, but what do you buy with the money you have? How do you steward what God has provided for you to meet the needs of your family and the needs of others? Do you have a budget where you think about this is how much I'm going to live on so I can afford to give this much and save this much? So you have margin in your budget budget in order that you're free and that money doesn't control you, but you control money and you tell it where to go rather than it telling you where to go. All of us face temptations, and that may be one of the greatest ones we face. So we've talked about these three reversals so far, as Mary in her song has reminded us. But now we move to verse 54. 54 says, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Remember, I told you these three reversals would be bookended by mercy. And your point there, your fifth point on your outline is that God, God's help of his people. God's help of his people. So we saw his mercy to begin with, but his mercy is made evident here through his help. His strength against the proud, his dominance over the mighty. His control of the rich. But now it says he's going to provide help for his people. What does it say there? He's helped his servant Israel. How's he helped them? Remembering to be merciful. Of all the things we need here in conclusion, if you will, of her song. Is God's mercy to help us. 
That's a broad blanket statement. Scripture says, my God will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. He'll help you through his mercy. Note. The song ends on that eternal note. In verse 55, it points to, but we've got to ask our question here of this one. How do I know I belong to God? Personally, how do you know you belong to God? That you're a Christian. Not just that you said certain words. Not just that you got baptized. Not just that you go to church. Not just that you give. Not just that you serve. But how do you know that you have a personal relationship with God? Do you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit? In your mind, does he speak to you? In your heart, does he guide you? When you read scripture, do you understand? When you're about to sin, does he pull on your shirt tail and say, hey, buddy? When you have sinned, does he come and remind you that you need to repent? That you see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life and you know that you belong to God. The video you saw today of the couple in the work camp in uh, Mexico and how their life was changed, and how they were in such turmoil and such trouble. And she said, we can't go on like this anymore. And she saw hope in the message that the missionaries had shared with them. And then they began to be missionaries themselves and go to the other camps. Not all of us may have had desperate circumstances like that. Not all of us may have had such transformations like that. But can all of us point to a point in time when this was my life before Christ. Here's how I knew I needed to come to trust Christ as my Savior, confessing my sins and asking Him to save me of those. And here's what my life is like since Christ. And there is a difference in the before and the after. God helps his people in his mercy. Let's conclude with the eternal note here in verse 55. Verse 55 says, To Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. That's a continuation of the phrase, obviously, of verse 54. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Who is he remembering to be merciful for? To Abraham and his descendants forever. Is she just talking about Jewish people? No, I believe she's talking about all people of faith because we are children of Abraham in that way that we are children of faith. Even as he said to our fathers, Mary is talking about those that have followed him. And so the way I would conclude this, your sixth point, is God's word to his people. Was this to... Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. When he says something, that's his word. We have his word revealed to us, the Bible. That's the most important revelation of God's word. But by his spirit, he might reveal to you individual things, sometimes through his word, sometimes in prayer, that you'll know it's God speaking to you. And that when God says it, you can believe it. Because he's sovereign and he's eternal. And just as he made his promises in the Bible, so too he keeps those promises today. God's actions in bringing Jesus to be born of a virgin Mary were nothing new, but a continuation of who he was to bring salvation to the world because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his love. I think I just answered my last question. Why is this important 
today. What do you think? We have a story of faith in a book called the Bible that from the very beginning to the very end is a love story. It reveals God's love for humanity, though humanity continued to sin against God. And how one way after another he pursued his people through the patriarchs, through the kings, through the prophets, through the judges, I forgot, forgive me. And then ultimately through Jesus. And he still pursues us today by his Holy Spirit, by his word, even speaking to you now. That that's why it's important today. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Your scripture memory verse of the month is at the bottom of your outline there. And now it's on the screen in front of us. And I want us to say it together. Revelation 7, 9a. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Revelation 7, 9a. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we hear these words of Revelation, and we're reminded of the truth that people from everywhere of a great multitude will trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord and will join those of us that are in the sound of my voice who have done the same thing in eternity forever. And Father, we look forward to that day, but in the meantime, we got a lot of living to do. And it's our prayer, Father, that as Mary showed us, to regularly remember your mercy and how your mercy turns the strength of the world upside down and the pride of the world upside down and the values of the world upside down so that we might be humble before you and we might be worshipers of you and followers of you and not pursue the things of this world. God, we know that you give strength. We know that you put us in positions of authority and greatness. We know that you provide for our needs, even through our paychecks we get. But help us not be controlled by these things. But to realize that just because of your mercy, as we worship you, you provide for us. So God, we pray, if there's anyone here, that's never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, that they would do that now. And for those of us that have, we, if we need to, would have a readjustment of our values today so that we might see the world as you sees the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.